the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. A lot of education talk this week, a lot of education uh, talk uh, today, and uh, no one I am more happy to speak uh, to right now than our friend Bacha Unger-Sargon. She is the deputy opinion editor at Newsweek, the author of Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy, one of my favorite public intellectuals. I was reading a Twitter feed of hers this morning on a New York Times article about learning loss, and Bacha, as usual, uh, you, uh, you, you nailed it on the head about uh, what this pandemic has done, what it has done to the lower classes, how the elites took advantage of it. The first reaction I had, Bacha, I got to tell you, is I guess now of a sudden it's OK for The New York Times to cover the issue of learning loss. So many were denying that he was it was even taking place. But um, tell the audience what, what you were thinking when what you were tweeting about this morning. Yeah, I mean, what you point out is a really important piece of the story, right? Like, so we know now that the closures of schools and the remote learning was absolutely ruinous to poor kids, to lower income kids, to kids of color across the nation, right? And we know now that the school systems that did their best to reopen as soon as possible, those are the ones that did not use the pandemic to perpetuate the kinds of inequality that we already struggle with in this country. And we also know that it was blue states and blue cities and blue municipalities that were, you know, pursuing and, and, and perpetuating the learning loss, keeping those schools closed, catering to those teachers' unions. And it was Republican-led areas that were saying, no, we're putting all the kids back in school. So you have the situation where the side that claims to be founded upon, you know, um, hatred for inequality, caring about the marginalized, caring about the poor, is the side that actually was perpetuating inequality. And the side that always gets a bad rap for only caring about the rich was the side that actually refused to maximize and keep growing that, um, that, that unequal gap in learning between rich kids and poor kids. So that was the first thing that I noticed, right? You know, we, we basically have a perfect experiment here, right? We know exactly who did what, and we now can see the consequences. So, the, but, but the second point is exactly what you point out. So how is it that this is in the New York Times? Well, the reason it's in the New York Times is because it's 2022, right? So, <laughs> right? so they can finally admit it. There's a new it, president right? in, in Washington. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But they don't say, hey, our side got this wrong. The other side got this right. Here's how we're going to go and reevaluate why it is that liberal, Democratic-led cities and states are much more unequal across the board than, you know, Republican-led states. We're going to go back to the drawing board and reevaluate why it is that the middle class only now exists in red states, whereas blue states are full of very rich liberals and very poor people who service them, right? No, they gaslight, right? They act like this experiment didn't happen and like oh look at this learning loss is real look at this remote learning didn't work who could have foreseen that and i think to me that's the real the thing that makes this so enraging is the the epic gaslighting 
They can't admit that the other side got something right. They can't admit that they got something wrong. So they're just going to keep doing the thing that they got wrong. And, and that's what's so frustrating about it. Among uh, Yes, among so many. And you state it really well. We're talking to Bacha Unger Sargon. You can follow her on Twitter, Bungar Sargon, or at Bungar Sargon. You can uh, read her work at Newsweek. Uh, you should check out her book. Uh, Bacha, you make a good point. You know, we have the research now. It's a case of the actual having proven the theoretical, because a lot of us were pointing this out in April and May and June of 2020, and we were being shut down for saying so. But two of the things that were proven, and the New York Times writes about this in, 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 in assimilating all the research, it's kind of interesting to me, is it made the point that uh, – two points, really. The schools that shut down versus the ones that didn't had no noticeable difference in COVID spread did have a noticeable difference in learning loss. The schools that shut down had more. The schools that didn't had less. What more do we need to know? I mean, that's exactly right. So so their excuse for keeping these kids out of school and, you know, destroying their careers, essentially, was, oh, we don't want them to be super spreaders. Right. But there was already evidence at the time, like you said, there were already people saying, look, kids are very low risk. Yep. Across European countries, like European democracies, kids were back in school, kids were not wearing masks. So the only reason they stayed closed was not the evidence, which a lot of people had certainly by, 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 um, by 2020 when yep. the vaccine was already widely available. It was pressure from the teachers' unions. And, you know, something that I just cannot wrap my head around is, you know, I'm on the left, right? right. I cannot understand how any person who says they're on the left thinks that their job is to side with teachers who make ninety, a $100,000 a year as opposed to the poor children who they abandon. Who are on but free and exactly reduced lunches. Yeah, no, they are on free exactly, and reduced lunches where they exactly. sometimes could only get their meal at school, quite honestly. It's not just that. We know now that right. up to 50% of kids reported um, some form of abuse at home right. throughout the pandemic, right. which is, of course, always worse in lower-income situations. There's now nobody, no mandated reporter in their life to get them out of that situation. They're stuck at home with abusive parents. Maybe there's not enough food at home. I mean, it was just absolutely disgusting and deplorable to protect the feelings, the irrational feelings of a group of, of teachers because of the teachers' union and because they're a major funder of the Democratic Party. And it was just, it's just so corrupt and so, so dispiriting to see educators, you know, caring for themselves and coddling themselves because they're part of the laptop class and totally abandoning the children who need them. And we see it beyond the schools, too. I mean, uh, all these pictures of uh, well-to-do political leaders who were supportive of the biggest of biggest, the, the, the most draconian of mitigation strategies when they were caught eating out in public, or even after they had let up on some of their mitigation strategies caught out in public, the servants, often people of color, had to be masked, while those who were in the leadership did not. The elites didn't have to mask. The servant class did. Right. And again, this is, this, you know, you, you see this only in liberal places like California and New York because there was nobody being masked in places like Texas, you know, and Florida. So you don't have that disparity. But but, but it's not just about the mask. The mask is, mask is representative of a larger income right. disparity right. that you see really only in blue states and cities where um, you have you know, they're very expensive cities to live in. And yep. what you end up with is just like this real, real income divide between the rich and the poor. And that those masks just really, really exemplify that, you know, like that scene of 
you know, AOC last year and Hillary Clinton this year, and yep. they're, you know, festooned in their $1,000 dresses with some servant, you yep. know, attending to the dress who's wearing that mask. And it's, it really does feel like feudal times. We even saw it outdoors with Nancy Pelosi. Outdoors! Outdoors we saw it with the Nancy Pelosi fundraiser yeah. in California. Of course, we saw it in Georgia. Bacha, the unions, you were right to, to mention that because it was really the unions pushing so much of this, not only on the CDC, writing some of the CDC's language, but pushing their superintendents across the country who who were supportive of them to keep the schools closed. And as someone who understands this probably better than almost any other writer in America, the need for unions once upon a time versus what they may stand for now, you know, they were there for the working class not getting a fair shake. That was the original concept. Boy, you know, you look at their salaries, you look at their income, you look at their political donations, you look at their power plays. I'm not sure that the unions are what, most Americans think they are anymore. You know, it's very interesting because the idea of collective bargaining is so obviously important, right? You look at corporations and their workers just have no power that comes anywhere close to the power that the corporation has. And that corporation doesn't just control their wages, but they control their health care, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you're a parent, you know, just forget about it. You have no leverage. So collective bargaining is still, I believe, so important. And I'm so excited to see Republicans getting on the bandwagon now of collective bargaining and talking about workers' rights. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the people in charge of unions, especially at the policy and the national level, um, they're part of the revolving door of democratic, philanthropically funded politics. So they're people who have you know pronouns in their bios, you know, whereas the majority of the working class today is Republican. Because working class people are much more conservative, you know, and so you have this situation where there is a real fundamental alienation between the leadership of unions and then the working class people that they're supposed to represent. Of course, it doesn't apply to desk unions like the teachers union, right? right. Um, I'm talking more about late, you know, labor. So you have this situation where workers have been left out in the cold because Republicans support these free market policies that, um, you know, very much are bad for them, you know, economically. But then the liberals are saying, oh, you can't come to work unless you're willing to put your pronouns in your bio. And, of course, that alienates them from a cultural point of view. Absolutely. There's a lot more to this. If you can stick with me one more uh, segment, I'd, I'd be delighted. Bacha Ungar Sargon is our guest. You can follow her on Twitter at B-U-N-G-A-R-S-A-R-G-O-N. She's the deputy opinion editor at Newsweek and the author of Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. For those of you looking for a really great, unique investment opportunity with a great return for investors, I want you to check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are my friends. I've met with them several times. I've kicked their tires a bunch to fully understand how their business model works, and it is, as I say, really great. I'm talking about a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out of debt, and they're doing it the right way, by doing the right thing to pay off the debts and with dignity, getting their FICO scores fixed along the way. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really great people who are doing really great by helping others, and you can too. What more can I tell you about them? Check them out online, investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R E F Y. 
com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. It's a local company. You can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk about what they're doing, which is being in the business of helping people that others won't, and you can be too. InvestYRefi.com or 855-316-3087. Batya Unger Sargon, uh, one of my favorite public intellectuals, uh, is our guest. She's the deputy opinion editor at Newsweek, author of the great book, Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. Batya, um, one of the things that must be frustrating about reading this New York Times piece today about learning loss, about assimilating what we are and understanding what we have done with the children throughout COVID, how it has disproportionately, so very disproportionately affected not only minorities, but also uh, uh, lower and working class Americans, bottom quintile Americans. One of the things that bothers is, yeah, okay, so people like you and I, a few of us, more than a few, but but not the majority, we were trying to point it out. Uh, when we tried to point it out early on, we were shut down, shut up, and censored. And I guess I guess we're going to have to get used to some of that. Maybe some of it is opening up. But will there be any accountability over any of this, or is America just going to kind of do what America does, which is forget and move on? I mean, where's the accountability for the 2008 financial crisis? Where's the accountability for shipping 3.4 million, you know, good working class, middle class jobs over to China to build up their middle class? Where's the, you know, where's the justice and accountability for NAFTA? Where's the justice and accountability for the decimation of manufacturing and the working class in America? I mean, we're not really good at that, you know? We're not good at um, turning the ship around. And I, I feel like we really, really need to. And I, 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 you know, I honestly like the thing that gives me the most hope is seeing um, Republicans sort of turning on the power of corporations. Now, they're doing it because they hate the woke politics. They hate the censorship, you know, because, it, you know, there's sort of it, the leadership is offended culturally by the ways in which corporate America has become so firmly in the camp of the woke left. Um, but But you can't. Once you turn, you turn like, you know, once you turn on corporations, you turn on corporate power, you turn on the oligarchy, you know, that that has to have an impact on workers' lives. That has to have a redistributive effect. And I'm not talking about redistribution of wealth. I'm talking about redistribution of power. Right. You know, um, so I, I feel like I'm hoping that that is I will tell you something, though. Um, you know, see, conservatives are very excited about Elon Musk potentially buying yep. Twitter. Sure. Um. I, I, I have to say, I'm on the left, but I can really see the censorship, and it's really terrible. Yep. Like, it's really bad. Yep. Conservatives have it really bad on Twitter. But, you know, Elon Musk is not your hero. That guy is in China's pocket. I I'm, mean, with, I'm with you on that, Pacha. I, I mean, first of all, right, who knows what his politics are? They're a little bit all over the place. And indeed, indeed, in fact, voting and supporting Obama, Democrats, uh, yes, and the China thing is very disturbing. The more disturbing thing to me, uh, you tell me, I don't mean to interrupt you. The more disturbing thing to me is, have we really come to a place in this country where free speech depends on one billionaire immigrant in a country of 331 million people? That's 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 how we I get free that speech. Is exactly right. That's, I think that is on the money and nobody is willing to say that. You know, the whole point of this country is you're not supposed to rely for your rights on the patronage of some 
you know, some some feudal lord who right. happens to share your values, right? The point is that this is America, you know? Like, we've enshrined free speech as, you know, the, the number one thing that we care about, um, and we're just sort of allowing it to go hither and thither. So I, I, I think you're so right, and I'm so glad to hear you say that. Oh, oh I, I, I believe this strongly, but, Bacha, it goes back to the school thing, because the only reason we have to make these arguments about the importance of free speech and open debate in what we thought was an open society is because we've gone through a generation of kids going through schools, children going through schools where they were not taught to appreciate the importance of free speech in the First Amendment. We have sent a generation of kids through school. That generation is older now. They were taught to learn to hate most of things that took place between, I don't know, 1775 and 1792. And these are the people that are kind of now in charge of social media, the 30-somethings. I got, I, I, you know, it's not that hard for me to connect those dots. It's true. However, the younger generation, the Gen Z generation, they hate cancel culture. They hate millennials. Good. They think they're super lame. Good. So hopefully they're going to start to see a little <laughs> bit of a better okay, culture good. So we'll have one generation. We'll segregate <laughs> off in order to restore our First <laughs> Amendment and Bill of Rights. But on that, you see this not just here. You kind of see this in so many areas. Um, I have to tell you, I think – uh, starting with the children, uh, the what Republicans and conservatives are saying about children now versus what the left and Democrats are saying, it's not just the schools, but a lot of it is what's going on in the schools. It seems to me like the left is very um, is very ardent about weaponizing children and using adult political themes to uh, play out on the schoolyards of our nation's schools right now. When you look at the transgender debate, when you look at the CRT debates, it's a it's a weird thing what they're using children for on the left. I have to say two things have really mystified me in the last, you know, recently. The first is the left's attachment to, you know, apparently there's a human right for a kindergarten teacher to teach their chil- the Appa- children in their charge about sexual orientation. Apparently, I mean, I, yeah. I, if you had told me that that, that was the hill that liberals were going to die on, I wouldn't have believed you. But apparently, you know, this is something that gets them really emotional. I have to say the other thing I found very surprising, I'm really interested to hear what you think about this. I I struggle to understand the, the rights attachment emotional attachment to the unborn. Okay. Like, I, 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 I see why, you know, they think that, you know, life begins at conception. I don't think that because I'm a religious Jew, so I think it begins sometime after that, and I'm generally pro-choice, although only for the first trimester. I think it gets kind of barbaric after that. Okay. Um, but, but, but I don't understand why. It seems to me that they are equally emotionally attached Inter- to this idea Interesting of the comparison and dichotomy. Um, would you do me a favor, Bacha, and let me invite you on next week and we can do this at length? I think it would be yeah, a lot of fun and very to. educational for certainly me. Would you? Can I? Can, can do we do, put a bookmark on this? <laughs> put a pin in okay. this grenade, a bookmark, whatever you want. <laughs> you know how much I respect and love you. Thank you, Bacha. Yes, thank you so much for having me. We'll Talk pick it up soon. next week. You betcha. Bacha <laughs> Unger Sargon. Check her book out, Bad News How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. Follow her on Twitter. Reader at Newsweek. All right, Pacha, God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless you too, Seth. Talk to you soon. Bye. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.